Good evening, LCM. Tonight is Wednesday, March 11th, 2020. Church, we're in our Divine Dimension series. Divine Dimensions are all about us understanding the reality. Somebody say reality, reality. of the kingdom that we are actually a part of. The reality of the heavenly kingdom that is being made manifest in our lives. In my life, in your life, in an everyday and an every way kind of process. The Lord is trying to teach us that there is a reality that is beyond what you and I see. That's beyond what you can perceive with the natural senses. But it is the more real. It is the reality. And everything else is the virtual part of what's going on. Somebody say divine dimensions. Divine dimensions. We've been learning to be drenched. Somebody say drenched. Drenched. Look. When we deal with the blood of Christ correctly, when we deal with the blood that Christ shed, when that gets applied to our ears, to our thumbs, to our big toes, then the oil that is coming is an absolute guarantee. We can bank on the fact that the oil of anointing is coming and it will anoint us on our ears. It will anoint us on our thumbs. It will anoint us on our big toes. But that's just the half of it. You see, after that oil of anointing, the rest that was in the palm of the priest got (laughs) drenched over the head of that who of the man who was being anointed. You see, it's not just a guarantee that we're anointed in that way. It's a guarantee that we are drenched with the anointing over oil of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. Church, we're also learning how to drift. Somebody say drift. Come on, do you remember our definition from last week? See, tonight, the title of the sermon is Drifting at the Areopagus. Areopagus. Is that not what I said? We've been working on that all day. (laughs) I think I still missed it. Drifting at the Areopagus. See, remember our divinely derived definition of drift from earlier from last week, is to experience the exhilaration of innate raw power. Oh, come on, Pastor. Coupled with the sensation that you are dangerously out of control. When in reality, you're being moved towards an intentional direction that does not necessarily correlate to the direction of your steering wheel in an obvious way. See, what we're talking about is getting out of control. But not in some worldly way. We're getting out of the fleshly control that we all so desperately want to have. And allowing ourselves to drift in the Holy Spirit, moving forward towards what He's doing, even though it feels just a little bit out of control. Anybody ever felt a little out of control? Come on now. Yes, Pastor. No, I I know where you people come from. Out of control, but we're talking about being out of control in a very spirit-led kind of way. Walking in this divine dimension. Are you ready to drift with us tonight? Let's begin tonight where we left off last Wednesday. Drift with us to Acts chapter 27. I can guarantee you as you're turning to Acts 27 that we are about to bust this thing wide open at the beginning of the sermon tonight. If, if what Pastor Wade and I preach tonight does not challenge you, does not excite you, does not move you, does not propel you, does not inspire you, then I don't know what will. But I know that What we have tonight is going to do all those things and even more. In Acts 27, we're going to begin in verse 22. Say drift when you get there. Drift. 
But now I urge you to keep up your courage. Because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night an angel of the God whose I am and whom I serve stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. Paul's in quite the situation, if you remember, from a few days ago. He's on a boat. The boat is drifting in a crazy, crazy way in storms through all kinds of crazy atmosphere. You see, the physical situations look quite helpless many times. The physical situation where Paul is right now, it looks hopeless. It looks like, man, we're never going to get out of this thing. But an angel shows up, says, hey, Paul, keep your courage, my brother. And by the way, your ship is also going to be going down. Hey, I'm visiting you as an angel, a messenger of God Almighty with words from heaven. And by the way, you're also going to be standing trial sometime in the future. You see, that is our lives, church. My brothers and my sisters, that is what our lives look like. We can stand with confidence and courage about the things that the Lord has spoken to us that will happen. But guess what? Sometimes our ship goes down in the midst of it. Sometimes we got to go through some crazy storms on the pathway to that promise coming about. But we're drifting in the Spirit. And it looks like we're out of control at times. We even... Our flesh wants to get scared at times, looking at the storms that we're going through. But that is not going to be us tonight. We're not going to be scared as we look at the storm. We're going to be confident because we know we're drifting with our God. Did you hear the way Paul addressed these men on this ship? There were 247 people on the ship along with him. He was the prisoner. He was locked in chains, and Paul is speaking to everyone. He, he was, may have been in chains, but he was the one that was in control of the situation because he had heard from God. Last night, an angel of the God whom I belong to and who I serve. Come on, you gotta understand who you belong to tonight. You gotta have an understanding. We're not just talking about who are you serving. Who do you belong to? Because if you belong to him, then you've got a reality that others can't touch. You could be the prisoner on the ship and ordering everyone around. Look at verse 25. So keep up your courage. Look at me, LCM. Hey, LCM, keep up your courage tonight. you got to know whose you are and whom you serve. You've got to have an understanding of this. Keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God. You understand this situation? Paul is saying, I have faith, so you should stay encouraged. I actually know what's going to go on, and all you other guys can just trust what I'm feeling. Whether you feel it or not, I got this. I got this so well, I got it for all of you. I know exactly where we're going. I know exactly what's going to happen. For I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Come on, wouldn't your life do better if you can just trust that the Lord would do it just as he told you? My goodness. Nevertheless, uh, we're going to have to run aground on some island. He didn't even, he didn't even specify which island. Uh, we're going to have a, a, a ship that's going to wreck on some island somewhere up, up coming up here. See, you got to keep up your courage, church. Do you know why you have to keep up your courage? Because the enemy is trying to intimidate you. You are a child. You are a son and a daughter of the living God. 
You have one that have been empowered with the heavens. You're rightly being drenched in the blood. You're rightly being drenched in the oil. You are a child of God. You belong to Him. He is yours. If something happens to you, it's on Him, not on you. He is paying attention to you. And what you have to do is say, I can keep my courage. We are trying to encourage you tonight. What if we did it? Not just encourage you, but encourage we begin to act. Amen. Encourage we begin to step forth and go, I know this situation looks bad, but I know he's with me. I will not let the enemy intimidate me. Come on, we got to be something special in this room. Yeah. It's one thing to be confident in your own strength. It's one thing to be confident when you walk in a room because you think you got it. It's an entirely different thing to have the anointing of the heavens upon you and say, I will not be intimidated. Y'all are saying amen like this is a Sunday school class. Have you ever been in a situation where you needed to stand up and have a little courage about you? How about today? Anybody needed to do that today? You got, you got, you got things that are being said against you and you have to understand that the enemy is just trying to intimidate you because if he can get you to quit, that's actually the only way he can win. If you just stay in the fight, you're going to win because he is with us. I have faith and I know I got to run aground. Wait, which part of that do we want to take? No, you take both parts of that. Because you need it when you run aground. See, this is not a time for living by sight, for calculating, for calculating the outcome, for trying to figure and plan things out better. You don't need to plan better. You need to trust better. You need to learn how to walk better. You need to learn how to have some courage about you tonight. This is not going to be based on your base instincts. The word was that they had to run aground. you got to catch this drift. When the Lord wants you somewhere, it may look like the circumstances are bad. It may look like you're shortchanged. It may look like you're in trouble. But you can be exactly in the drift of His Spirit. Moving forward towards His will. Moving towards what He has for you. Come on, church. We need some courage in this place tonight. Come on, let's say drift with God. Drift with yeah, God. we got to be in the drift with God tonight. Come on, continue with us in verse 29. Fearing that we would be dashed against the rocks. They dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. Oh my goodness, what fear can do in our lives sometimes. What fear can cause us to do in an irrational kind of way. Drop a couple anchors. Hope to be dragged along. Hope that maybe it'll stop the projection that the Spirit wants to take us in. Fear causes us to look at the drift and say, Oh my goodness, I'm scared. I don't want to. I'm going to start dropping anchors. You guys remember those anchors from a few days ago? Those anchors are still in this room. Things that are trying to prevent you from your divine purpose. How can you drift with God with anchors that are still dug into earthly thinking and perceptions? It's impossible. We want to free you from these anchors today. We want you to get more free from the anchors that you want to drop over the boat so that you can drift in the Holy Ghost. Does somebody in this room want to drift with the Holy Ghost? Come on, who wants to go drifting with me tonight? We have our first anchor. It's the anchor of fear of failure. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you a moment to write that one down. Uh, We really want you to get these ingrained in your soul so that you can begin to recognize them when they start coming out of you. Church, these are not four random anchors that we found somewhere else that we looked online to help us with our sermon. 
These are four anchors that we prayed about and we were considering about this group of people in this room, members of LCM. A fear of failure is our first anchor. This shows up many times in failing to even start. You don't want the feeling of drifting with God because you don't want that to fight that fleshly feeling that you are out of control. And so you don't even start. You don't even take the first step of obedience toward a faithful action for God. This anchor, it tethers you, it binds you, it constricts your progress. But the thing is, is that Christ's blood has atoned for you. His oil is being placed on you. And His anointing oil is being drenched over your head. So you really have nothing to fear. In 1 Timothy 4, in verse 15, where are you, Spencer? There you are. 1 Timothy 4.15 says, Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. This is you driving forward. This is you advancing. This is you drifting with the Lord and everybody watching and saying, Wow, that man, he is growing day by day. He's growing week by week. I see his progress. I see it looks in the natural like he is very much losing control. But I have spiritual eyes and I'm watching. And I can see the Holy Ghost working in him. I can see the Holy Ghost moving him along and him maturing in the faith. Verse 16 says, watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them. Because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. We're going to encourage you to be who Christ is calling you to be today. That's where we're going to encourage you tonight. As our first contentious point with our first anchor, be who God has called you to be. Don't be ashamed of it. Don't be fearful of it. Don't let trepidation or being scared of a a step of obedience stop you. We're going to challenge you tonight to take steps of obedience toward who Christ has called you to be. Do not be fearful. Own your calling in Christ. Own what God has spoken over you. It doesn't matter if thousands fall to the side. It it, It doesn't matter if the closest people to you give up on you. It doesn't. If all of you gave up on me, I would still be standing with Christ. And I know that that's not going to happen. But it's true. What Christ has spoken in my life, I will stand on it until the day that I die. I will move forward in it until the day that I die. What about you? Take your next step of obedience. Be who Christ has called you to be. Do you understand that to take your next step of obedience, you have to cut away the anchor of fear? See, if you're anchored to something, what was the purpose of the ship? It was going to run aground. What was the purpose of the anchor? To keep them from running aground. Do you see the dichotomy here? God is saying you've got to go in a direction, but you're trying to keep it from happening because it's just too scary. Anchor number one is a fear of failure. Anchor number two, an anchor of self-sufficiency. How can we both be afraid of failure and self-sufficient? Because I don't want you to see that I'm not, I don't know what I'm doing, so I'm just going to go off and do it by myself. It leads to kind of a private pride that makes us try to hide. It leads us where we want to do things on our own so you won't see. Let me go ahead and straighten this up before you get a chance to see me, Pastor. Let me go ahead and clean up my life a little bit. I know I've been doing really bad, but let me go ahead and try to get something going. Let me get a few days in a row where I'm doing decent before I come talk to you about my struggles. 
anchors of self-sufficiency. Church, you are supposed to feel out of control in the kingdom. (laughs) You're supposed to feel like this is going just a little bit too fast for me. Anybody ever been on a treadmill and you hit it too fast? (sighs) Ah! Holding on to the rails, skipping every few steps because you can't really keep up. Anybody ever been in a car with someone who drives too fast? Y'all know y'all are the ones that drive too fast. (laughs) The ones of you who didn't raise your hand. See, the Christian life is supposed to feel like, wait a minute, I feel like I'm drifting. It feels like the steering wheel is going this way, but I'm drifting this way. Yeah, that's what it feels like. To trust in the Spirit and to not trust in your eyes. This exhilaration, this intoxicating power of God that's supposed to direct you beyond the natural. Somebody say beyond. Beyond. If you want to go beyond the natural, then it has to feel like you're just almost out of control. The truth is it's because you are out of control. But he becomes in control of your life when you cut away the anchor of self-sufficiency. In James chapter 3, listen to verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Oh, oh yeah, I want to be that. Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, spiritual, of the devil. Pastor, I thought we were talking about self-sufficiency, not selfish ambition. Yeah, friends, it's the same thing. Okay, I'm going to say it again. Okay, it's okay because you didn't get it. It's all right. I love you. We're just going to try it again. (laughs) Self-sufficiency is selfish ambition. (laughs) See, what happens here is look what it says. Pastor, I'm not being ambitious. I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to take care of it myself. I mean, did you hear what I just said? Some of y'all be like, no, that's what I say all the time. Yeah, it's wrong. You've got an anchor there. You've got an anchor that's saying that you would rather do it than being empowered by the Spirit and letting the Spirit do it. Such wisdom. Isn't that funny that it calls it wisdom? Do you know why it's in quotes in wisdom? Because it's not wisdom. But you feel like it's wisdom every time you do it. No, I got this. I'll do it. No, I mean, it's okay. I mean, mean, I'll go ahead and do this. Why? Because I'm just trying to be wise. These are things, the word of God is so powerful, it reveals the secrets of our heart every time you read it. Such wisdom doesn't come from heaven. It's not God telling you to be self-sufficient. That's an anchor, and you need to cut it away. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder, disorder, and every evil practice. The areas that your life are full of disorder, it's because you've been having self-sufficiency, selfish ambition. The Bible says it. Well, pastor, I'm not doing evil. Yeah, but you're out of order in certain areas in your life. See, sin isn't always sinister. Sin isn't always sinister. It's just earthly. It's just unspiritual. It's just of the devil. You got to cut that anchor away, church. You've got to cut away the anchor of fear of failure. You've got to cut away the anchor of self-sufficiency. Nick's going to lead us into our next anchor. You ready for number three? Yes. Number three is an anchor of compartmentalization. Oh. Now, I'm going to have to give you a couple few more seconds to write that beastly long word. 
compartmentalization. Look, this is saying, hey, one place is more holy than another place. One moment is more holy than another moment. One outfit, I feel much more holy in this outfit than the outfit I was wearing earlier today. One comment is one is more holy than another. This is one that I am having to cut away from my own life. I'm having to cut away this anchor of compartmentalizing my life. That what I do at work, that what I do at home, that what I perceive in my mind as holy and a little bit less holy, that's an anchor. And it's causing the kingdom of God not to break out in my life as strongly as it should. It's causing the Spirit of God to be chained because uh, the Spirit of God working through me to be chained. This anchor is a nasty anchor. It creeps up on you. It looks like, man, I'm just trying to work hard at work. And yet you're totally disconjoined and disconnected from the Spirit of God. Did Jesus Christ not call every one of us to bring heaven to earth? How can we be bringing heaven to earth when we are so focused on the physical thing right in front of us and we're not, we're not thinking in the heavenlies? We're not thinking about what heaven would be doing right now, right then. We need to walk with this cut away from us. You see, there is a merger going on between the heavens and the earth, and we are participating in that merger today. Amen. You see, there's going to be a moment where the heavens envelop the earth. When Christ is all in all, but that is not today yet. But it is our charge, our responsibility to bring heaven to earth right here, right now. You see the veil, it's torn. But it's not, it just was, was torn. It is torn. And it will be torn tomorrow and it will be torn the next day. You see, the veil to the most holy place is permanently torn. That means permanent access for us. At every moment of the day. That means it's time for us to cut anchors with the carnal. It's time for us to cut anchors with the physical. That we might be in the heavens at all times. That we'll be working hard, doing our jobs hard, yes. And bringing heaven to earth while we do it. Somebody say amen to that. There's nowhere on this planet that you are closer to the Lord if the veil is torn at all moments. This is a very Greek thought. You cannot go anywhere and not be in God's presence. Psalm 139 tells us, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If my, I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. You see, I'm having to go through and say, God, I believe this verse. I believe that no matter where I am, your right hand's gonna guide me. Your right arm's gonna hold me fast in your presence. That I have no reason to think that I'm farther away from you right now than I was yesterday at church. That I'm farther away from you right now than I was earlier today when I was in my word and praying to you. You see, God is right here. He's right here right now at all times. And He's able to guide us, He's able to hold us fast and to direct us in the ways of heaven. Go ahead, Pastor Wade. Amen. 
Let's move on to the next anchor of identity theft. Somebody say identity theft. Identity theft. This is us talking about never being satisfied with the situation that we're in. Always presuming that there needs to be another part of a circumstance. Our circumstance somehow needs to change. We need to have more money in the bank account. We need to have more friends. We need to have more connection. We need to have something else that will make us right with the Lord. See, you work for God. That is who you are. Every situation is a divine dimension for you when you're drifting in the Spirit. See, we have to start refusing the idea that our circumstances determines our sonship. Your circumstances do not determine your sonship. See, when we start getting a hold of this, the things that are going on externally don't change whose I am and whom I serve. It does not change that because I have sonship tonight. My goodness. When we start talking through our 12 gates as a church, we're talking about being full in Christ. We're talking about being seated with Him in the heavenly realms. We're talking about being sons of God. We're talking about being co-heirs with Israel. See, what we're trying to do is get you get it in your mind and in your heart who you really are. We are trying to define this because your circumstances do not determine your sonship. Come on now. When, when Israel was leaving Egypt, they had the Red Sea before them and the Egyptian army behind them. There was Jordan at the flood stage. There was Elijah being eight, outnumbered 850 to 1. There was Elisha who was surrounded by two armies. The army that he could see and another army that was surrounding that army. See, these are not, in these circumstances, you do not lose your sonship. Pastor, we know that. No, you don't. You don't, and here's why. You know that intellectually, but you don't know it where we're trying to get you to know it. Because when difficulties come, what do you do? Oh, God, why have you forsaken me? Anybody ever thought that in your heart? Come on, be honest. You get in a difficult situation. I mean, it starts getting pressurized, and you're like, man, I'm not sure if I'm going to make it. Why did you leave me? He hadn't left you. There's nowhere you can go on this planet that He's left you. There's nowhere to go in the universe that where He can leave you. The universe can't contain Him. You think you're going you're gonna to mess it up because you took the wrong step? You took a left when you should have taken a right? Your circumstances do not determine your sonship, church. Come on, you got to think about Israel in the desert. Were they any less the Son of God when they were in the desert? No! As a matter of fact, God put them in the desert so he can make his divine glory and his divine dimension real to them and to everyone else around him. Uh, uh, Megan, put up Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 7 on the screen. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray? How is anybody going to else ever see that God is near to you unless you're in situations where you actually have to pray and he has to answer? See, your circumstances do not determine your sonship. Uh, Verse 8. And what other nation is so great as to have righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws? He said, I'm I'm making you my son. You're my son. I've I've taught you how that you're supposed to walk. Now walk in it so everyone can see it. When you're in the desert, when you're in the difficult place, we feel like he's left us. We feel like it lessens our sonship. It does not in any way. And you got to cut that anchor loose you got to cut that anchor loose that steals your identity every time a difficult day comes by. Come on, man. Y'all know we do this. 
Y'all know we do. Difficulty comes in and you don't feel like you're, you're close to God. You feel like you're far away. Well, stop worrying about your feelings. You're a son of God. Act like it. Come on. Walk in it. It, be encouraged tonight and encourage walk forward so that you know what he's called you to do. You're trusting in a reality that you can't see, that you can't feel. Ladies in the room. I'm going I'm to get you too, man. Don't you worry about it. <laughs> Y'all just relax for a second. They were like, yeah, get those ladies. <laughs> I'm just being kind as ladies first. It's all right. (laughs) Ladies, when you allow your emotions to control how you live. When you feel good, you act good. When you don't feel good, you don't act good. You've allowed your circumstances to determine your sonship in the kingdom. Fellas. The second that pressure gets on you. You start squirming like a little stuck pig. What you say is one thing. You're parroting the right information, but inside your heart, you're quivering just like a little child. Your knees are knocking, and you want to start running around and put your hand on stuff to control it. Uh, uh, I don't know what to do, so I'm going to go do something. You let your circumstances determine your sonship. That cannot be. You have to cut that anchor away, church. These four anchors that we're presenting to you are what the Lord is trying to fix in us tonight so that we can walk in a divine dimension. See, we're not trying to be anything. One thing I love about Nick Ergin, he's not trying to be anything. He's just walking in and exactly who he is. I'm not trying to be anything other than exactly what I am. See, you don't have to be anything else because I know who I am. I'm a son. I get to act like a son. I get to walk in sonship. I'm not going to let anything determine that. I'm just going to walk in it. Come on, you're going to walk in it with us tonight? Turn to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. You guys tracking with us tonight? If you're not trying to be something, if you're not trying to put forward some sort of perception or facade or this is how I want to project myself, this is how I want people to see me as, if you're not trying to do that, then you can in fact actually progress in the kingdom. And those around you can actually watch you progress and you mature because you're nothing more than what God is making you to be that day. Are you saying that it's an anchor for us to worry about what other people think about us? Oh, my goodness. Huh. It keeps you from getting the direction all the while while you're fighting to keep it active in your life. You know, that causes you to be performance dependent instead of promise dependent. When you're performance dependent, you can't be promise dependent. When you're performance dependent, it means I need to look like this. I need to do these things to X, Y, and Z, whatever your excuse, whatever you want to project. And it causes you to be stagnant. It's an anchor that literally stops you in your tracks. But if you cut that anchor away, you say, hey, these are the promises of God in my life. These are the things he's calling me to. This is where I am right now. It's out in the open. Hey, brother, this is where I am right here. Uh, Here here, here it is. Here's the anchor that I'm struggling with today that I am actively cutting off. Help me. Pray with me. This is what I'm working on. This is what I'm going toward. The Lord's promised me this. Watch my progress. Watch me grow. Hey, watch me take this step of faith forward. 
You guys in Hebrews chapter 11? We're going to read this from the Amplified Version. It says, Now faith is the assurance or the confirmation or the title deed, like it's in your very hand, of the things we hope for, being the proof of things we do not see, and the conviction of their reality, which is faith perceiving as real fact what is not revealed to the senses. You see, faith has nothing to do with our physical senses. (laughs) What we see with our eyes, what we feel emotionally, what's all bundled up inside of us, the insecurity that we have, so it manifests in shrinking back or it manifests in... That's not faith. That is not what faith is consisting of. Faith is the assurance. Do you remember assurance, hypostasis? It's that Greek word means to place or to set under. But more prominently, more importantly, it's substance. What really exists under any appearance. Your faith is what actually exists under the physical appearance of things. It's the reality. It's the very thing that is actually there that your physical eyes do not see. Look at the next word. If faith is a reality. It's a title deed that you already have. You already possess the title deed in your hand. It becomes the proof. Somebody say proof. This is the next word in Greek for proof. It's elektros. Come on, Cho. You're everywhere, aren't you? (laughs) Daniel Cho makes it into every service. That's amazing. Daniel elektros. It is the manifestation of the truth of that charge and the results to be reaped. What is the proof that we're talking about? It means that it's like you take it to court. You tried it in a court of law and you rendered a verdict. The proof. What is faith? Faith says we have a title deed and we've already experienced it. We've already decided ahead of time. We've decided already that this is the truth. Nothing but the truth. So help us God. So help us God. That we can be able to walk in this because we've taken it to the court and we've been tried and found true. It's the verdict that is rendered. Somebody say proof. Proof. Amen. (laughs) The proof of things we do not see and the conviction of their reality. So look at things not seen with us. This is the Greek word pragma. It's interesting. To do. To perform. A thing done or to be done. Now we're beginning to realize why Paul can say, hey, guess what? Faith without deeds, faith without you actually doing something about the faith that you proclaim that you have, it's worthless. It doesn't mean anything. What this means is we can look at a story just like Acts chapter 27. And when when the Lord tells Paul through an angel, hey, you must run aground. Hey, you must go through this trial. Hey, these things are going to happen. The ship will be destroyed but everyone on the boat is going to be saved if you stand firm and do these things, then that is the reality. No matter how hard the storm hits the boat, no matter how many anchors somebody else wants to drop on your behalf, you reject them in Jesus' name. Hey, I'm going for that shore because God told me that's what I'm going to do. And it will always look crazy to the natural eye. Faith always looks bizarre to the one looking in the natural It always looks like madness. Hey, why do you have the hope that you have? Why do you act the way that you do? 
Why are you joyful when our bosses are, are criticizing us the way that they are? Why are you acting with joy? Hey, why are you obedient to those that are persecuting you? Why? You're going through so much trouble and hardship. Hey, your family looks like it's being torn apart from the outside. How can you be acting this way? It's because I have real faith. I see what's below the surface. I know what God has told me, and I'm acting upon it. What about you? Come on, let's look at verse 38 of Hebrews 11. The world was not worthy of them. Isn't it amazing that we fight to feel worthy? We fight for other people to value us. We, we project ourselves. We project our lives. This Bible says that when you're walking in the reality of the kingdom, the world is not worthy of you. Wow. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that or not. No, you're, you should be if you're walking with this kind of faith that we're trying to encourage you about tonight. The world is not worthy of those who walk in the kingdom. The world is the ones that's ridiculing you, that's mocking you, that's making fun of you. Well, stand up. You don't need their approval. You are a son of God. We are trying to encourage you in your identity as sons and daughters of God tonight. These people wandered in deserts and mountains, in caves and holes. They were all commended for their faith. Real faith. Not some fictitious, fairy, fickle faith. See, it takes an actual man. It takes an actual woman to stand up and live in a kingdom that you can't see. You, don't, you cannot be a cream puff. You cannot melt at the slightest little uh, adversity that comes your way. The slightest little heat and you just melt. Oh, where have you gone, God? The world is not worthy of you when you stand up and act rightly. We're children of God. We stand up and say, these were all commended for their faith. And we are the ones who are becoming the these. Yet none of them received what had been promised. The ones here listed in Hebrews 11, they did this and didn't get what they had been promised. Well, I haven't gotten everything that I'm supposed to get yet. Oh, see, you're letting your circumstance determine your sonship. You've got to cut that anchor away. We've already covered that. God had something better planned for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Church, the world is not worthy of them any more than it should be worthy of us because we walk in the same manner. Hebrews 11 is not a hall of fame. It's the average Christian. It's you. It's me. That is the level of faith that we must walk in. Not should, not might, but you must walk in it. They walked in a different realm. They walked in a different reality. They walked in a different and a divine dimension. See, they're waiting for us though because we got to step up we got to cut the anchors. we got to learn how to drift. we got to learn to put the pedal to the metal and go in the direction that God said. And when we drift, we know, ha, 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 I'm still going in the right direction. I think, I think the, the Merkava, the war chariot in Ezekiel 1, I, that, that thing had to be drifting. The Bible said, <laughs> one of my favorite verses in Ezekiel 1, it had rims that were high and awesome. Man, you know that whatever direction God sends you in is always forward. He doesn't even need to turn you. You just, where are you going? Yeah, I'm steering that way, but apparently I'm going over here now. Yeah, welcome to the drift of the Holy Spirit. It's called faith. It's called walking in a divine dimension. Come on, this is incredible. It goes all the way back to the beginning. Even Abraham, with all of his promises, 
He is waiting on us to do this rightly so he can join and be made perfect in us. Come on, that's incredible. Chapter 12, verse 1 says it. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, you know, Abraham's in that cloud. Abraham had promises. Genesis 12, Genesis 14, 15, 17, it goes on. The Word of God records a handful of promises to Abraham, which are very, very pivotal to our faith, would you say? Yeah, well, those promises are still unfulfilled. And it's only together with us that they get fulfilled. It's only together with our faith that something happens with these promises and they manifest on the earth. What happens when you die? Where do you go? Oh, now everybody's scared. <laughs> okay, if I was wait, wait, out wait, there... Wait. Are, all of you guys just showed a fear of failure right there. Don't tell me that you don't have... Oh, I don't want to say the wrong answer. He's going to get us. Come on, say an answer. <laughs> yeah, you die, you go to heaven. You know, you, things are pretty much over. Like, nothing, nothing more to worry about. Hey, do you guys remember a little story? Uh, some would maybe call it a parable. It's in the book of Luke. Uh, it's in Luke 16, actually. Don't turn there, just listen. It talks about uh, Abraham. And uh, he's very much alive as he looks and is instructing the rich man and Lazarus. He's actually a part of their lives. He's watching what the rich man does with his life. He's watching what Lazarus does with his life. He sees him begging for food. He sees him poor and needy. And then they die. And they go to their respective places. And Abraham is still speaking and talking about their lives and what they got as a result of the way that they lived. Now, I thought that when you died, you just went to heaven and then you kind of chilled out until the resurrection. That's just not true. You see, surrounding us is a cloud of witnesses. Not somewhere far, far away in a galaxy over there somewhere. No, surrounding us is a cloud of witnesses. Surrounding us are the souls of those who, is, who have gone before us with their promises, waiting with us, with our faith, with our trust-grounded obedience, with our actions, cheering us on, instructing, saying, hey, do this, man. I'm counting on you. I got promises way back there in 2000 BC that I'm waiting to get revealed and I'm waiting to, to manifest on the earth. You got to get on this thing. It goes on to say, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. It mentions Jesus here because Jesus is that perfect example. He's the perfect example of the kingdom manifesting now. Of Him bringing the kingdom to earth now. Him not just waiting for the resurrection. No, there was so much more before that where He brought the reality of the kingdom exactly where He was through criticism, through hardship, through betrayal, through a lack, through Gethsemane. None, none of those things could stop him. They were all in the physical. He had spiritual eyes. He was operating in a different dimension. You see, he knew that resurrection was the goal. Resurrection was the promise. But he had to run that ship aground on a cross. 
in the meantime, somewhere along the way. The resurrection was a certainty because of the cross that he endured. Because of all the things that he endured up to that point, the resurrection was a certainty. How about you? Because of the kingdom manifesting in your life, the resurrection will be a certainty. But if there's no participation in the kingdom now, then there won't be any participation in the kingdom to come either. It's our job here, now, today, tonight, right now to bring that kingdom. It's our job right now to be walking in the divine dimension of the kingdom and bringing it wherever we go. Nick just laid that out so well. This is why we're in the divine dimension series. These are concepts that we can all shake our heads to right here. But when we leave this place, when you're going about in your daily life and the thing, the situations that you're in start to sneak up on you. They start to, to steal your joy. They start to steal your confidence. See, we're trying to get a church that learns how to walk in the divine dimension at all times. Regardless of how you feel, regardless of the circumstances that you're in, that you're walking rightly, <clears throat> that you're drifting rightly into the divine dimension. See, we're going to talk about Paul. We're going to all go to Acts chapter 17. And as you're turning there, I want to set the stage for you. Because outside of Jesus Christ, at least in the Newer Testament, Paul, uh, we're, most people consider him to be the epitome of a Christian. Oh, yeah. I mean, he must clearly be getting divine visions every day of his every life. Minute, every minute. Everywhere day. he goes, the Lord just has like an intercom. Hello, Paul. Just always talking to him. He Paul, all- go over there. Talk to that man. Go now. Go now. This is what you're going to say. Was it like that? No. We want to encourage you. If that's the way it was with Paul, then maybe none of us have a chance. Let's be real. But if it was different, then maybe we can learn how that we're supposed to walk. Amen? See, we're going to give you a timeline that leads into Acts chapter 17. In Acts 13 too, Barnabas and Saul were called out by the Spirit of God. Man, somebody say, that's the kingdom. That's the kingdom. Wow, and then they went to Salamis, Paphos, Perga, and Pamphylia. That's the kingdom. That's the kingdom. Wow. And then John Mark goes home. That's also the kingdom. Somebody say, that's also the kingdom. Then they went on to Poseidon, Antioch. They were asked to speak frequently. Somebody say, that's the kingdom. That's the kingdom. Then they, there were people there that wanted to kill them. And drive them out of the arena. Somebody say, that's also the kingdom. That's also the kingdom. Then in Iconium, the disciples were joyful. That's the kingdom. But then they leave fleeing because of a division to Lyconium, Lystra, and Derbe. Well, that's also the kingdom. That's also the kingdom. In Lystra, they heal a lame man. Somebody say, that's the kingdom. That's the kingdom. Then the people think they're gods, and Paul is actually stoned. I don't mean stoned. <laughs> I mean, like, hit with rocks. That's not the kingdom. <laughs> yeah, that's not the kingdom. <laughs> Somebody say, that's also the kingdom. That's also the kingdom. And then in Derby, they preach. They're making many disciples. Then they return to many of the places, strengthening uh, doctrine, strengthening the disciples. we got to go through hardships. That's the kingdom. Praise God. Then back in Antioch, they give a letter that they had just wrought. But Paul and Barnabas split. Somebody say, that's also the kingdom. Then they can't go on to Asia or Bithynia because the Spirit told them no. Somebody say, that's also the kingdom. That's also the kingdom. Then they went to Mysia and, and Troas. That's the kingdom. 
They have a vision of Macedonian man, but then they get then they get jailed. That's also the kingdom. That's also the kingdom. Then they met Lydia, delivered a slave girl, and then they got put in jail again. Well, that's also the kingdom. But then they had a miraculous jailbreak. That's the kingdom. (laughs) (laughs) Then they end up in Thessalonica, and there's a riot. That's the kingdom. They go to Berea where they met sincere disciples. Somebody say, that's the kingdom. That's the kingdom. And then finally, we get where Paul goes to Athens alone, and that's where we pick up our story. Wow. So Paul's life, it's not really about hearing voices from heaven every minute of the day. You know, much of the time he's stumbling into different situations. You see, he's going to going into jail. He's uh, serving time. Maybe sometimes he's miraculously getting out. He's stumbling around cities, having conversations. Hey, look at that person over there. Let me go talk to him. And then something crazy happens. This is not because there's a crazy loud voice from heaven every minute of the day saying, Paul, you must go do this. Paul, you must go do that. Paul, now is the time to go eat. Paul, don't you have to go to the bathroom now? That's not Paul's life, okay? That's not what this looked like. Paul was able to do these things because no matter what was happening throughout his day, no matter where the storm was tossing him, he kept his eyes in the divine dimension. That's the key. That's what made Paul who he was, is that the storms, the sandbar, whatever opposition when it was in his life, it couldn't stop him from keeping his eyes on the divine. It could not stop him from having the perspective from asking the Lord, being in prayer constantly, Lord, do you want me, what, what do you want me to do? What, please lead me, Lord God. Please show me. Please open up my eyes. Help me to see a different realm than all these other people are in. Help me to go in that fourth dimension, the one that nobody operates in. Father, I want to be in that dimension right now. Those events, those very events right there, him having that divine dimension perspective, they brought him all the way to Athens. And this brings us to Acts chapter 17 and verse 16. Are you guys there with us? Somebody say it's about to get good. We're finally making it to our text for tonight. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed. Somebody say, that's also the kingdom. (laughs) That's also the kingdom. (laughs) To see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. This is not some loud voice from heaven. Did you guys hear it? He reasoned with Jews and God-fearing Greeks. Then he was in the marketplace day by day, with those who happen to be there. Paul knows who he is in Christ. Paul knows where he is. He knows who God is making him to be. He knows how he's supposed to walk. His eyes are focused. They're fixed on the divine dimension. And he is literally walking around looking for a conversation. (laughs) It's like, uh, you're over here. Well, I'm just going to talk to you. Hey, sir, how you doing over there? Hey, uh, I'm in Athens now, and uh, I'm walking through the marketplace. Do you know about Jesus? <laughs> He's literally making it happen. Verse 18, a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. That's kind of funny. 
Paul advocating foreign gods. Well, it was foreign to them. <laughs> the one true and living God is who he was talking about. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news. Somebody say good news. Good news. About Jesus and the resurrection. Can I encourage you? Sometimes people don't mind if you mention Jesus. But if you start talking about the divine dimension that Jesus walked in, then you start having problems. Then you start having some, it stirs up people. Look in verse 19. Then they took him and brought him to the meeting of the Areopagus. Nailed it. Yeah, I did. I was working on it. I got a little nervous there, but it's all right. This place is also called Mars Hill. It is the epicenter for intellectual pursuits in the entire planet. You're going to come there. You're going you're gonna to start talking and everybody with their ideas. If you want to see if your idea meets muster, you come to this hill and you start talking and you allow your great influences, the great intellect to be seen here. Where they said to him, um, may we know where this new teaching, what this new teaching is that you are representing or presenting? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears and we want to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing. Y'all know who I'm talking about. (laughs) The people who would rather talk about something than get something done. Oh, yeah, let's make sure that we're not those guys. All the Athenians and foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking. See, what we're trying to encourage you is to be able to walk in a divine dimension. Not spend all your time talking about it, but doing nothing. We want to be those who are doing it. They were doing, spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. See, you might have an intrigued mind, but we've got to have spirit-led actions in this place. Amen? Keep going in verse 22. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. Uh Uh-oh. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I I just, I picture Paul like, whoa, it's that thing right there. Oh my goodness, this is, they worship this laptop? This is so weird. As he picked up their objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. Now, what you worship as something unknown, I am going to proclaim to you. This is incredible. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. I just want to, I want to bring something to light here. Paul is in a place of idol worship. He's literally smack dab in the middle of a place uh, full of idols, full of things that people look at, covet, worship. I don't know, much like any store or any workplace that I've ever been to. You see, the Spirit of God was the same for Paul, whether he was in a synagogue, whether he was in a temple, whether he was in a marketplace, whether he was in a room full of idols to foreign gods, the Spirit of God working through Paul was as real to him in any place than another. At all times, he was walking in that dimension. Is the Spirit of God more present in you tonight than he he will be in your room later tonight? It's a question. 
No. No, definitely not. The Spirit of God is the same Spirit all around you, desiring to work through you. Every moment, wherever you stand, this is the divine dimension that we're talking about. Look at verse 25. He is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else from one man. Somebody say one man. man. He made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. See, his design is to inhabit, to rule over the whole earth by mankind. And he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. Can I encourage you tonight that God's direction for your life doesn't always feel spiritual? Are y'all too spiritual to say amen to that? God's directions for you don't always feel spiritual. I just kind of did this and then I realized when I looked in retrospect that God had ordained every step that I take. He, he helped me. He was leading me. He was guiding me, though I didn't see his footsteps. He was helping me in every way. I kind of actually just stumbled my way into it. Paul's here in Athens, man. <laughs> a tomb to the unknown God. It makes me think of the genius bar at, a, at, a, at an Apple store. People who just want to stand around and do nothing talking about the... <laughs> See, what God is doing here is he's trying to give you direction, but it doesn't always feel spiritual. But listen, if he determined the time set for them and the exact places where you're supposed to live. Somebody say exact place. I don't just mean that he got you to the right city. I don't mean that he just got you to the right neighborhood. I mean, if God determined the exact room that you're supposed to have, that is your bedroom. I I mean, he puts you exactly where he wants you. You know why? Because he's intending to lead you. He's intending to guide you, but it doesn't feel spiritual. Yep. That's exactly what we're saying, that we have to learn to trust in a divine dimension that doesn't always feel spiritual to us, but is more real than what we can feel. See, this is what we're working in tonight. Look at verse 27. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. This is divine dimensions right here. Look, the concept that we need to leave and go somewhere to get closer to God It can misconstrue our perceptions so much. In reality, we need to take distractions out. We don't need to leave somewhere so that somehow we can get closer. We need to take the distractions and dominate them with a desire to pursue Him. You see, it doesn't matter if I'm here in the middle of a crowd or by myself driving in my car, if I can cancel out the distractions and begin to seek the face of God, then it doesn't matter where I am. I can be in a temple full of idols and idol worship, but I cancel out the distractions and I am seeking God and He gives me that divine dimension right there where I stand. Look, the more mature that you get in the kingdom, the more you know that you don't need to leave to connect to the divine dimension. Pastor Wade and I have been seeking the Lord and doing this for the last hour with you. Trying to connect to the divine dimension. Speaking to you. Making eye contact with you. While having our focus. Guys, this should bring a confidence to you. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter what kind of distractions are around you. God is with you. The Spirit of God is in you. He wants to speak to you. It's time to get rid of distraction. 
It's time to get rid of this lack of confidence and a fear that he's just not going to speak. He's just not going to give me the words that I need. Yes, he is. It's up to us. It's who he's created you to be. It's who he's called you to walk in. Now it's time to walk that way. Come on, it's almost like we're waiting and if we've had a bad day, then we're expecting him not to speak to us. If we've had difficult circumstances, we're expecting him to, well, I've kind of had a tough day, so I, I just need to go off somewhere. No, you need to tune into the divine dimension here. Let's look at verse 28. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, Somebody say your own poets. Your own poets. We are his offspring. Can you believe that Paul was well versed in Athenian poetry? What? I thought he was a man of God. I thought he was supposed to like only read like manuscripts and stuff. Paul knew about Athenian poetry, church. He knew about it. And he... It was holy because he was a holy man. And he was speaking it, using it for holy things. So it made it holy. It made it into the Word of God. That's right. Athenian poetry made it into the Word of God because it wasn't holy in and of itself. And it wasn't unholy in and of itself. It became holy because of the holy man who used it. You see, that's a truth that we need to grab a hold of. Christian radio? Well, most of them aren't even Christians. But if I'm singing a worship song to the Lord, then it makes it holy because I am seeking to be holy. I'm seeking to be close to God. It's just like if I'm wearing a t-shirt, I happen to be wearing a Christian t-shirt today, which I don't know. I think if, yeah, it's okay. But if you're wearing a shirt that is not a Christian t-shirt, but you are holy and you're seeking God and you're walking in divine, a divine dimension, then it's okay. Because you are the one that is seeking the holiness of God. Look, we can have wicked people like Elvis singing Amazing Grace. That doesn't make that worship song holy. But if I'm singing to my wife Sam and I'm singing a love song to her that doesn't mention the name of Jesus, then don't you think that that's more holy than what Elvis did? Of course it is. Because... My love is flowing from my relationship with the Lord right down to my wife. Of course it's holy. It's beautiful in every way. See, this is us getting to reality, folks. We're trying to break off religiousness, religiosity. We're trying to get down to a real relationship that you are walking in a divine dimension. I think, I think uh, Nick just promised Sam that, that, that there's a love song coming later, but that's all right. I can't. Okay, I won't do that. <clears throat> Let me talk to you about the man that Paul was quoting. That's holy, man. Why are you red, babe? That's holy. <laughs> Bright red. Sam, say that's holy. Yeah. <laughs> let me tell you about the man that Paul was quoting from here. Let me, let me let you know that this gets even better. Somebody say, it gets even better. It's even better. Epimenides, from 600 years prior... This was an Athenian philosopher and poet from 600 years prior. See, the people of Athens had come under a plague. And they were even willing to offer sacrifices to their gods to try to get the plague to stop. Uh, we've got to do something. We've mistreated someone. And there was a local oracle that said, you know, maybe there's a god that we don't know about that we've angered. I tell you what, let's go and ask for Epimenides to come and talk to us because maybe he can help us. This is the man that Paul is quoting here in Acts 17. 
So they sent for him and he said, you know, there must be an unknown God. Somebody say unknown God. And perhaps he's good enough. Perhaps he's great enough that if we just say that we're ignorant, if we make no pretensions about it, perhaps he'll help us if we acknowledge him and his greatness. So here's what they did. The people of Athens got lambs of all different colors, different shapes, and different qualities. And they brought them into a pen and they said, let's not feed these animals for a while. And then in the morning, when every animal knows it's time and they will open up the gates and let's see if there's any, if they all go out, then we know that there is no un, there's not an unknown God. We've addressed them all. But if there's some that stay in the pen and regard and disregard their natural affection for food, then we'll know that something is going on and that we've caught the attention of this unknown God and that these lambs are the one that he wants to sacrifice. So what happened is in the morning they open up the gates and all of the normal sheep go out, but the finest of each of the breeds stays in the pen and just lays down in their exact spot where they were. This is 600 years before what Paul is doing. And you know what they did in that moment? They took those spots, they offered these lamb to the unknown God and then made an altar there with the inscription on it, Agnos Theos, to an unknown God. So Paul is walking up. Why? Because he's waiting on his friends to get back. Because he's just conversing with people out in the street. He's just going along. He's just walking in a divine dimension because he knows who he is. He's not bound by circumstances. He is authentically who he is. And he knows that God is ultimately sovereign. And what he does is he just walks up and says, <laughs> are you kidding me? An altar to an unknown God where lambs were sacrificed to the one that the Athenians didn't know, but he answered by bringing healing to the people based on the sacrifice of lambs. See, you don't know what God has for you when you walk in this kind of faith. You don't understand. See, when you have a fickle faith, you miss this opportunity for God to do something supernatural. What does that mean, church? That means that Paul got set up for this day 600 years before he got there. 550 years before he was born, God set it up for him. What do you think God's going to do for you if you just walk rightly in faith? What do you think he's going to do for you? You think he can't handle you because your bank account's low? You think God is troubled by the coronavirus? You think he's worried about any of that stuff? He's the God who calls the end from the beginning. God will bring about his will, but it's just, are you going to get to be a part of it? You've got to walk in the authenticity of the divine dimension of the kingdom. You've got to walk in this authenticity. You've got to walk like your circumstances don't matter. Come on now, y'all can agree with this, and then we go out tomorrow, and every circumstance that comes up, oh, I'm having trouble selling today. Oh, what am I going to do? you got to start walking in a divine reality that says, I can trust in God. I'm not going to let my faith be swayed. I'm going to walk in power. I'm going to get up every day. I'm going to trust Him. I'm going to praise Him. I'm going to worship Him because He is with me. And He will empower me. And if it takes it, He's already got a plan. I can't wait to see what it is. And if it doesn't come today, you know what you do? You get up the next day and you do it again. 
What did he tell me to do? I'm going to keep walking in it. Because I'm just going to go about my day. And I think it might even be random. But I trust that it's not even random. The random people that Paul speaks with are not random, church. He's, God set up every circumstance. He set up every part of this so that God's glory may be seen. Look here at a, at a, at a picture that we have of, of an artist rendering of the Areopagus there in that time. Look at a modern day picture. You can actually go to Mars Hill today. This is where the men were gathering. But what you can't do is you can't see God at work all the time, church. You've got to actually just trust him. You've got to actually walk in faith. Let's turn to Philippians chapter 3. The Lord is going to free us tonight. Looking out, praying for his divine dimension and his vision. I can see that we're stuck on earthly concerns and worries. I can see it. Start reading with me in verse 19. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. Somebody say, my citizenship. My citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are ambassadors from heaven to earth. We are ambassadors bringing the heavens down to the earth. We have no time. We have no time to waste on earthly things. Stand up with me. I know that there are concerns and worries that we are struggling with right now as a church. I know. And I know looking at them in the physical, they look so real. I'm here to tell you there's a divine dimension that's above it. It's an earthly concern. It's something that God has. The Lord God that we serve is ultimately sovereign. If He's spoken something about it, then that settles it for you once and for all. That settles it. It's done. We can walk in a different dimension knowing that He is going to take care of it. It's time that we elevate ourselves. That we know that our citizenship is not of this earth. It's something of the heavenlies. It's time that we set our eyes, set our face on that heavenly citizenship and we do not move from it. See, setting our minds on earthly things produces a fickle faith. It produces a faith that is blown and tossed by the winds. Hey, we might be on a boat and we might be running through a storm right now, but my faith is not fickle. My faith is founded because the Lord said you must run aground. The Lord said, you must. 
hit these things and your boat must be destroyed, but I will deliver you and I will deliver your family and everybody with you. The Lord's spoken those kind of passionate, amazing promises to us tonight. It doesn't matter where you find yourself tomorrow. What we need to do is to ask our King, to ask our Father, to ask our Savior to please help us to get released from these earthly concerns and worries, to help us to elevate our thoughts to help us to elevate ourselves above our emotions, to elevate ourselves above the worries that we had today that entangled us, to please, Father, help us to elevate ourselves above the earthly things that are holding us back, that are anchors for us. Lord, we don't want to have identity theft by the world. We don't want our identity to be hidden in what the world says. In the opposition that the world is bringing us, we want our identity to be in You, Father. Father, we lift up our hands and our hearts to You. Lord, we're asking that You would please help us to see our perspective with Your perspective, mighty God. Lord, there is nothing more that we want to do than to walk in the divine dimension that is You. Father, we are sons. Father, we are heirs to your throne, Lord God. We are heirs of your promises, Lord Jesus. Father, would you help us? Would you help us to learn to trust you, to put our fears down and learn to drift in your presence, Lord, and not worry to be able to dance with you, mighty God, because we trust you so much, Father. Move us tonight, Lord God. Father, let our feet begin to move in faith, Lord God, instead of being planted out of fear, Lord Jesus. Move our hearts tonight, Lord God. Move us, mighty God. Move us in steps of faith, Lord Jesus.